Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Hope Life Podcast, a podcast that allows you to hear the hearts of Hope Church pastors and leaders through real conversations about life, ministry, vision, and goals, or some of the exciting ways that God is working through their specific ministry or congregation. This is a great resource for our church family, and we're so glad that you're taking the time to listen to today's episode. Hopefully, we will all leave today's conversation more inspired to passionately follow Jesus and make Him visible as together we live the hope life. Hey, Hope Church family, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Hope Life Podcast, a podcast intended to keep you, the family of Hope Church, well-informed and up-to-date so that you can meet the pastors and the leaders of Hope Church and so that we can have awesome conversations that are a spiritual investment into all of us. Well, I'm sure you're aware that we are now in Christmas week. It's hard to believe that it's just a few days away. I've been talking to so many people, and everyone I'm talking to, they're all saying the same thing. It's as if Christmas snuck up on us this year, but now almost as quickly as uh, we've started the Christmas celebration, it seems as if it's hurried by, and the celebrating will soon be over. But it's been an amazing season. We've got we've seen God do some incredible things um, in different Hope Church locations. It's been so encouraging. Uh, preaching through the Christmas in Perspective series, that was amazing. Being able to offer the Christmas in Perspective Christmas devotional, that was amazing. And uh, just going to let you in on some brand new information We're really excited to announce that uh, Pastor Josh Westmoreland is going to be headed to Hope Church Mill Creek in Roxborough, North Carolina. Then a couple of Sundays ago, um, we now know that it was affirmed that there will be a Hope Church in Asheville, North Carolina, and uh, that will be Hope Church Morningside. It's right off of Tunnel Road, and uh, they voted last week, and We're all clear to move forward. We're really excited about that. And uh, we're just seeing God do incredible things, and we believe that's going to continue. Uh, Well, today, uh, we're actually going to be talking about Christmas, but it's not going to be the usual Christmas conversation. You know, this is called the most wonderful time of year. Um, It's called the greatest season of all. Um, And everything in the music and the decorations and the movies and the television shows, everything points to this all blissful, all wonderful, amazing time of laughter and love. And while Christmas is that, we rarely talk about the fact that for a lot of people, Christmas is a painful season. For some of you, this will be your first Christmas without your loved one, the loved one that you said goodbye to far too early. Uh, For some of you, Christmas will be difficult because uh, you're in a hospital room or you're staying with a family member who's in the hospital. Uh, This past week, we prayed for a a gentleman and a family who just found out that they've received a grim diagnosis that their father will even survive over the next couple of weeks. And then yesterday, uh, a great part of the Hope Church family, Chris Edwards, who is just a model volunteer, a model servant in every way, just such a great guy. Uh, his dad passed away. So sorrow doesn't stop 
or pause for the holidays. People are still brokenhearted, and they're still facing hardship. And I thought it would be great today if we were just honest about that. We had a real conversation about that. Not only about the fact that there is sorrow, but maybe we can find some insight on how to deal with the sorrow during this time of year. And I don't think there's anybody better suited uh, for us to have that conversation with than Pastor Josh Westmoreland. Uh, Josh, again, will be at Hope Church Mill Creek soon. Um, as we have this conversation, he's still in Mississippi. Uh, we're looking forward to him heading this way. Uh, but Josh, for the past eight years, has been a hospice chaplain. Hospice chaplain in an, an entire region. So he has interacted with people during their darkest moments. He's walked with people through their darkest hours. And because he has experienced this on a level that very few of us have, as a matter of fact, very few people that I know have, I think he's the right person for us to have this conversation with. So how are you doing tonight, Josh? Doing pretty good, Brian. It's good to be here. Man, it's great to see you and talk to you. Everybody else is going to be hearing our conversation only, but uh, I have the privilege of uh, almost as if we're kind of hanging out together, <laughs> although we're in two entirely different places. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah so. so I do have a question to ask you, and uh, I've been wanting to ask you this for a long time, and I don't know why it came to my mind to ask you now. Okay. How often, when you tell people where you're from, do they try to do that humpback, crooked letter, crooked letter, I, humpback, crooked letter? What Have you ever heard that before? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, apparently, I don't even know it because I just got it wrong. Yeah, uh, rarely, rarely do I hear that, but I, I do hear, um, you know, I can spell Mississippi with uh, with one eye. Oh, well, how can you do that? M I S S I S S I P P I. Okay, so one they eye. cover one eye. <laughs> <You> cover. <laughs> yeah, or really, honestly, Mississippi is just spelled with one S. You just run it all together. You know, right? How do you say it if you're from there? Mississippi. Okay, there you go. Mississippi. Yeah. Okay, I get it. But yeah. <laughs> you know, the reason kids in Mississippi have to go to school for 14 years is because oh, it takes man, you a go. few extra years to even learn how to spell the state that you're from. Oh, okay, that was mild. Thank you. <laughs> hey, I was in Mississippi not long ago. Uh traveled all the way through the entire state as a matter of fact. Yeah, what do you have to say about it? Uh ate at one of the greatest <laughs> diners I've ever eaten at in my whole oh, life. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, we went to this famous restaurant there called Wendell's Oyster House. And it was pretty good. But on the way back, we drove miles and miles and miles off of the interstate back into one of the teeniest, tiniest little communities I've, I've ever been to in my life. And it was a little cinder block diner. It had great ratings, but it was obviously a place for locals. And Josh, we went in and they had a buffet. And I'm going to tell you what, buddy. The food was unbelievable. I mean, it was unreal, man. And I yeah. called my dad and he's like, those places are all over Mississippi. Yeah, they're the best. I, I I am from the northeast corner near Memphis, and so I can't really say a lot about food, although, I mean, my mom's a great cook. I will say that I'm near Memphis, so I'm a barbecue snob. Like, if you try to feed me pork barbecue that um, is anything other than grand, um, just, uh, just keep it. 
you well, know, you know the Bible it. says, the Bible says in the last days that people will will have a strong delusion, and apparently you're delusional that Mississippi has the best or Memphis has the best barbecue. Oh, it does though. I mean, there's well, not even that's, close. There's no question about it, Brian. Lexington, North Carolina, has the best barbecue. I mean, I'll be the, the judge of that. Well, it's the barbecue capital of the world. People have already judged it ahead of you. You're too late. Well, we'll just have to see about it. But as of now, I don't believe you. So, <laughs> so are you a rendezvous guy? Oh yeah, R- rendezvous. Yeah, was, that's a good one. That's a good one to start off with, right there. Rendezvous. Yeah. If you're um, in Memphis, actually, you got to get ribs there. Yeah, rond- r- the ribs. I was gonna say the ribs. Uh, you can get good pulled pork everywhere, which is I like pulled pork and ribs. But um, yeah, Memphis Barbecue Company, which is actually across the line in Mississippi, not far where I was raised. I feel like that has great barbecue too. Great pulled pork barbecue, some of the best around. But well, uh, I'm a barbecue fanatic, so I'm sure me. And well, you we will just have to make that future. a thing. Yeah, we have to yeah. make that a thing. I agree with. I'm you. for it. Uh, it's research, <laughs> research and development is what you'd call that. Yeah, well, I tell everybody it's me celebrating my non-Jewish heritage. <laughs> mm. So, uh, anyway, let's get let's get down to business and let's have this conversation. Let's do it uh, for those those people who are hurting this time of year. Uh, I do have a question to ask first. What is the most difficult part of being a hospice chaplain? I would say the the most difficult part would be not being able to fix it, mm. not being able to fix the problem. So, um, tell you a little story, how I got into hospice. Well, I won't go through that whole thing, but I fell into hospice. It was by the grace of God. Honestly, I've been thinking about writing an article talking about, and the title of it would be something like how hospice saved my life. And the gist of it would basically be God gave me a break from full-time ministry that lasted eight years. And he gave me enough time to find myself and repent, turn to him, fall in love with the word of God, um, et cetera, et cetera. But when I started working for hospice, somebody showed me um, years ago, well, eight years ago, over eight years ago, when I started working, somebody showed me an ad for the, you know, the online job sites, you know, yeah, like showed me that. Or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, the description, you know, and show what it was. And I said, the words came to my mouth was like, I said, uh, chaplain. I said, I am not going to be a chaplain. I'll tell you that because every chaplain, every hospital chaplain I've ever met is just weird and creepy and ominous. And I meant it because the ones I had met have been (laughs) a little strange and they kind (laughs) of hover into the room and, Oh brother, let us pray for you. And, you know, they do their thing and they leave. So I just, I was straightforward with the the person that interviewed me. And I told them, I said, if you're looking for that guy, honestly, I felt underqualified. I still feel underqualified. But by the grace of God, I've been able to do what I do for eight years. But I told the person I was interviewing with, um, I'm, I can't be that guy. I am an encourager by nature. Like I'm just a fun little, little, try to be a little ray of sunshine naturally. <laughs> and so that's what I can be. And if that's not what a hospice chaplain is, I can't do that. So anyway, I got hired and um, I've been doing this for several years and that's my approach because that's who I am. And um, I, I will say the most difficult part of being a chaplain is encouraging for the moment 
uplifting and that is good, but walking away knowing that there's still going to be sorrow once, you know, and, and don't get me wrong. I do think if you can make somebody smile and laugh, it completely can change their day. As a matter of fact, yeah. I do think laughter genuinely, genuinely does good like a medicine. Um, but I would say that walking away from a hospice visit when someone is, is passing away uh, and knowing that, you know, at, at my best, I encouraged them for a day and the sorrow will return. Well, you know, if you're a doctor and you um, are introduced to the person, their case is introduced to you, uh, when when the time is right early on, you know, you have the hopes of helping them recover. Hospice, you're not called in until it is too late, when death is inevitable. So that that is difficult because you have to serve people while they're walking to the valley of the shadow of death. You can't walk with them while they walk through. Mm -hmm. That's when the Lord said, uh, you know, that he would be with us. But you can only walk them to the valley of the shadow of death. But that has to be, that has to be difficult. You know, you said earlier something like, I can't think of anybody better, something like that. Um, to have this conversation with, I honestly think the best people to have this conversation with are people who have been there and are in that season two, or have at least been there. Um, at this point in my life, I can't say I've lost a lot. And I know if I live long enough, that will change. And God only knows. Um, but unfortunately I have seen a lot of loss. I have seen a lot of grief, even, even tonight. Um, I was with a man as he crossed over into eternity mm. and I had, I had my hands on this man on his shoulder as I watched him take his last breath. Wow. And I saw, I saw the vein in his neck. Um, I believe, what do you call that? The cor carotid, the artery. carotid artery. I saw that go and, and pulse for the last time as it got weaker and weaker. And um, I can't say that that's, it, it's not often that I'm there at the moment, but I, I truly believe the Lord allowed me in these last few weeks that I'm get to do this, to see that and be there and to understand, at least for me, that this is very, very real and it's very important. Um, and life is full of suffering. And, you know, if we can alleviate some of that, um, as ministers and as people, just people of God, not, not even necessarily ministers, but just people of God, then that's a good thing. Wow. So I guess I guess my follow-up question to that question would be then, what is what is something you've learned that is um, that represents wisdom that you've gained serving the families of people who are dying and, and serving the families of people who have died? What would be some wisdom that you would pass on maybe, maybe a need that the family has, or maybe something they don't even realize they need. And you've been made aware of this while you've been serving in the trenches of hospice. Okay. I'll, I'll give you uh, two parts. If I can remember the second part as it, as it comes around. But the one thing is that um, whenever someone is, is truly struggling during the grieving process, this is, just me. I don't have 
data per se to back it up. I don't have s studies to back this up. This is just what I feel. And I'm an empathic person. I'm not even saying that means a lot, but this is what I perceive. That when somebody is genuinely struggling with grief, um, a lot of times what that means is that they loved hard, if I can put it that way. Um, when somebody is genuinely having a hard time, and and I don't mean you know we I guess most of us have been to those funerals where you know there's a family member that hardly ever came to see the person, didn't even hardly know the person. And you know where I'm going, don't you? Yep. And they they show out and they fall at the casket. And unfortunately, I've seen that too. And, you know, if you've got a couple of brain cells, you can put that together. But, you know, we're talking about the wife of 59 years. You know, we're talking about a husband who planned on going before his wife, but he's still here and she's not. Um, that's that's really hard and for so many of these people they loved hard and so you know they're looking around trying to figure out what do they do and you know there's things i can say and go through the elizabeth kubler ross's five stages of grief and all that sort of thing but you know time yes but the fact is if you loved hard it's going to hit you hard mm. and so that's one thing I, I would just hope that people can be aware of that it's not really a problem and there's nothing wrong with you. It's it's the fact that um, you loved hard. And, you know, there there are instances and I was thinking about this earlier. I debated on whether or not I should say this, but there are instances where people carry uh, guilt after the, the death and they wonder, right. you know, should I have done this? And sometimes there's serious things that, you know, maybe should have said, maybe they went unsaid on, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and those things I would say have to be dealt with. Um, it's kind of like when my six-year-old son, um, says, daddy, there's a monster, you know, there's a monster in my closet. If I, you know, with his lights off and he's got this little nightlight, if I say to him, um, no, Max, there's not. No, it's 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 all fine, man. Don't worry about it. Um, and I walk out of the room. To him, that monster just got bigger because I just dismissed it. Right. But if I go over and pick him up out of his bed, and we turn all the lights on, and I pick him up in my arm, and I have him look up in the corners of his closet where the monsters live, you know, <laughs> and look there. All right, son, look in the look in the bottom left corner, look in the bottom right corner. Okay. Look under your bed. Where else do you think a monster could live? Oh, behind the cabinet or behind the bookshelf. And when he sees, when he investigates and he sees all the lights turn on that there's no monster there, then he can sleep because he's seen it for himself. And I think, um, sometimes we have to dive into that space and we have to voluntarily think about the things maybe we don't want to think about and go there so we can get through it. Um, but I'd say for the most part that, uh, if you love hard, it's going to hit hard and time does heal, but it's going to be difficult. And there's nothing any preacher, pastor, minister, chaplain, or anybody else can say. And, and I would even go so far to say this, when somebody comes up and says, Hey, I know what you're going through. I've been there. I would even 
give a word of caution to people that would think about saying that in that moment. Um, you know, because when somebody's going through something, they've just lost somebody. When you go, when you say something like that, it's, it's almost dismissive. Like, well, I've done it. And so you can do it too. Mm. Yeah. But there's a ton of variables and the relationships are all different. Um, so that's, that's what I would say. Well, you know, a lot of times when people are grieving as well, or when people really don't know how to grieve or when people are struggling, people also have a tendency to isolate and that we go behind Mm. a closed door and we find ourselves alone Mm. and that's incredibly unhealthy. Mm. Um, Have you, have you experienced that? Have you seen that? What would you recommend with regard? Yes. I I would say that uh, the temptation is there. I would say naturally it's, it's totally natural to want to retreat and just be completely alone. Um, But, you know, as an extrovert who is married to an introvert, I think I could confirm that whatever your personality is, you need people. Mm. Uh, And you may not need 50 people. You may not need a hundred people, but you need one or two friends. You need a, um, and I'm not necessarily just championing and saying, Hey, everybody need to find you a church. I mean, I think you do. Uh, but I can say it on this end. Um, I can, I mean, I can tell you about, people that have forsaken that, you know, for one reason or another, sometimes there were perfectly good reasons that people chose to not continue in the church profession. We could, that's a different subject or the church uh, attendance. But I can say that at the end, that's one, whenever you're a family and you're looking around and your loved one has passed away and it's like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa okay, wait, wait, wait. All right. We got to find a, we got to find somebody to do this. We've got to, we've got to find a pastor. Um, that's a terrible place to be. And not necessarily because of that particular situation, but it's because you've missed out on years of, of having a good social, uh, support system through, you know, your church, through your local body. Um, and I would say to answer your question that people, we, we need people, um, you know, people fan, uh, fan, uh, fantasize about going and living on an island somewhere, getting away from all the hectic schedules of work and, you know, um, just kind of sipping on lemonade on a beach somewhere for the rest of their life. But you put you give about two weeks of that and not seeing anybody, you're going to be bored out of your mind. Um, and I, I guess that's theoretical, that's hypothetical uh, right. for me because I'm not there, but um I just, I think people need people. This, this life was not designed to live alone. So I would say if somebody is, I would say if somebody is going through that, um, if they're going through grief, experiencing loss, the family get togethers, the Christmas, uh, the, the Christmas dinners, the Christmas lunches, please try to go to those. Um, even if you can only stay for an hour and pull the old, Irish exit, not say anything and leave. Please go. Please go to the church get together. Um, please go to the group uh, get together where you play Dirty Santa and everybody gets mad at each other for 10 minutes. <laughs> go to that. Um, man, there's nothing better than to laugh and have a good time. And, um, you know, if you have to leave early, then fine. But please don't isolate and, and stay alone. Well, you know, um, I'm a huge fan of the show Alone, 
And I've turned other people onto that show. A little while back, I told Pastor Jesse Young, I said, you need to watch Alone. It, it combines all these different cool elements. You've got the coolness of, you know, the Canadian wilderness, the Arctic. You know, it's amazing. You've got these survival experts that believe they can face and overcome anything. And, and they literally drop someone off in the middle of nowhere with zero human contact and they drop them off there and they're alone. They're completely alone. I think they can only take like eight to 10 items. And so they virtually have nothing, but they have no one. And I've watched some of the strongest of men and some of the strongest of women, Josh, completely break down. Not because they can't survive. I mean, these people know how to, I mean, they can take two twigs and, and start a forest fire and they can eat anything. They can put stuff in their mouth that I wouldn't tough even people. be able to get past my lips. They are tough people. And I've watched these people completely and totally break down because they can't handle the aloneness. They just can't handle it. The loneliness that they feel, they can't, they can't even absorb the pain and and survive the experience. And the the longer they're there, the more they start talking about their families and the more they start talking about realizing what's important. What really matters. Yes. And it always comes back to people. Hmm. And a lot of them tap out and they have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars that they could win. And they get to the point that they say the money not worth means it. nothing. And I think a lot of people try to go through life like that. Hmm. You know, that we don't need to bear our souls. We don't need to share our burdens and we don't need to bring people in on the anxiety or the hurt or the mm. depression that we're feeling. But that's, that's proof that we do need to, mm. um, you know, the one and others of the new Testament, they can only be lived out in community. And so if you are not in community, there is no way you can be obedient to the new Testament. Mm. We have to have community. And, and so you're reinforcing that, correct? Mm. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate that. So so you're dealing with a family right now. You said that you're dealing with a family right now where a man passed away, even tonight. How should the people serve that family to help them make it through what is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, but for them will not be the most wonderful time of the year and will never be again? I would say to if if you're if if I'm speaking to the people that are serving that are around that family I would say to step into that space no matter how awkward it may be and the excuse and I've used it we've all used it of well I just want to give them time and I want to give them space and you know that sort of thing and and there's something to that and and somebody can genuinely you know if you show up at somebody's door you know, expecting to make a visit and they turn you away, just understand it's not personal. Right. Um, but at the same time, I think we sort of build that up in our minds a little bit uh, more than it should be. And I, th <laughs> I think people, well, to go, ex to go right with what you just got, what we just got finished talking about, people need people and you never know where somebody is. Um, chances are they, they might be doing okay. They might be coping well. Um, you know, I 
failed to mention this earlier, but I have, have seen and observed what I perceive to be a stark difference in the grief of someone who, um, a family member, rather, who knows the Lord and a family member who, you know, has never really been interested in the things of God. It's it's completely different. When I'm on the, we have about 20, 20 25 deaths every month with mm-hmm. just, just my, just where I serve. And so I'm on the phone and I call every, every one of them. That's part of my, that's part of what I do. Um, and you can almost tell within a minute if they're being, if people are being open rather, I mean, you know, if they're being honest, you can just, you can just tell they have peace. Oh, well, I can, I can already tell you where it's going because they're going, they, not me, they are going to mention the Lord some t- at some point during the conversation and like the Lord knows best and they are better off and praise the Lord. We'll see them again. Right. And on the other side, it's, it's just not there. Um, so I would say you never know who you're ministering to. Um, but I would say, uh, step into that space and, and be there. Um, you know, write a card. You, you, so I, I write uh, personalized sympathy cards to every, um, every person or every family member, um, we call it, we call them primary caregivers, every primary caregiver of somebody who passes away and I'll write like an actual card. And you have, you have no idea how much just a card, not necessarily being that it's from me, but even when I've received personalized cards from a family member after I've, you know, done a service for them, a funeral, um, man, it just means so much. It's not a typed out thing. It just means so much. So a card, um, a phone call, just let them hear your voice. Um, try to go by and see them. Um, but just don't be afraid to go the extra mile and just because the chances are, you know what we always say, Brian, we always say, uh, things like, Hey, uh, I'm here for you. Holler if you need me. Yeah. Don't we, we say that now, how many times do they actually holler when they need us? No, Um, people aren't going to do that not when they're really grieving because they don't want to be a burden. And so I would say, don't say holler. If you need me, I say holler at them. Yeah. That's and, good. And call them, be there for them. And if they turn you, if they turn you away, well then so be it. Give them some space. But um, may, may we not use that as an excuse to, to not care for uh, the flock. Well, you know, according to Galatians, we can't fulfill the law of Christ without bearing somebody else's burden. The law of Christ is not fulfilled in how we dress or mm-hmm. how our hair's cut or what Bible translation we prefer or how many church services we attend or the law of Christ is fulfilled mm, That's good. when we bear one another's burdens. And so think about it. The only way you can be ongoing fulfilling the law of Christ is if you are constantly helping somebody else shoulder what they're going through. Mm. And so we see people, they're weighed down, and we say, hey, let me get under that with you. And I can't carry it all on my own, but I can help you carry it so it doesn't crush you. Yeah. And um, and the other thing I would say, Josh, is um, I love what you just said about a card. I think every church should have a very active card ministry, every single church. Um, I know in Danville, every year we have different individuals and we send out hundreds of cards. 
Uh, we had somebody a little mm. while back who was sick, and they said my mailbox was literally flooded. And to the person who's listening, and you're a part of a Hope Church, but you're on the fringes, you should be encouraged to really get plugged in and really be known. Because, you know, people on the fringes say, well, I didn't get very many cards. Well, you've never made yourself known. Mm. But to the people who are known, to the people who can be identified, there's no reason that anyone who's a part of a local church family, especially a Hope Church, would say, well, I just don't have a place to get involved. I'm older or I'm not a teacher or I'm not a small group leader or I'm not. Everybody can write a card. And you just get on that list of people who are notified when there's a need and the address, the surgery, the death, whatever it might be. And you just flood that person's mailbox because mm. that says to the person, I'm deeply cared about. Mm. So I love that you brought that up. Mm. Uh, I like that a lot. As a matter Can of I add one more thing of service? Yeah. So um, doing what I do, uh, a lot of times I'm ministering to people in in uh, nursing homes and assisted living facilities. And with COVID being the way it is, it turned this whole thing upside down. It turned visitation upside down, how that happens, does it happen, that sort of thing. Um, I can't tell you what it does for me when I am able to go into a room and there's somebody lying there and you know perhaps they're uh, demented, uh, perhaps they're not, uh, perhaps they're you know transitioning that way. But... When I go into a room and I see most rooms have a little uh, billboard or whiteboard or something uh, on A bed or B bed or whatever, um, how encouraging it is to me to look up there on that board and see a little card that, again, um, has some handwritten notes or names in it from the church or some flowers, something, some some kind of reminder that, hey, we love you. And although you're not visible at you're not you're not a visible part of our body, you are a part of our body. And those little people are souls and they are precious and we must take care of them. Um, they may they may never serve um, again in our churches, but man, we if there, if there is true religion, if there is pure religion, um, it is taking care of those people. It's taking care of the orphans and the widows um, and just show. And we don't have to really bend over backwards. It's just doing a little bit, throwing something their way and letting them know that, hey, we love you. And man, they cherish those things. Those um, uh, little nursing home ladies and those little men, they cherish those things and they love it. So I would throw that out there to not forget about them. Man, that is awesome. You know, I think a lot of times church fails those people. Um, it becomes out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, we know with God, there is no out of sight, out of mind. I love in the Psalms um, this phrase, I am poor and needy, yet God thinks on me. Hmm. God is aware of the poor and the needy. God's hmm. aware of the overlooked. God's aware of those who are no longer the center of everything, the center of all the activities. And, you know, those people can't help where they are. It's health. It's life. Yeah, nobody would choose that. Absolutely. And uh, and so I think that's a good word of advice, that we would serve them well. Uh, you know, a little while back I heard my dad say something uh, at my papa's funeral. 
that has made a profound impact on my life. And I've shared it with, I have no idea how many people. But we we loved my papa. We loved hard. Mm-hmm. He was the hero of our family. He was, man, the love of all of our lives. He was so affectionate mm-hmm. and kind and wise and generous. And, I mean, he was just, he was so easy to love. And so when he died, we were broken. We were crushed. Um, But my dad said this at his funeral. I would rather feel the pain and have known the love than to have avoided the pain by never knowing the love. Yeah. Yeah. Josh, how do people let go well? Because death is as much a part of life as life is. You know, God came to this planet, God in flesh, Jesus, and died. Mm. But people act as if they're surprised when it happens to their loved one. Mm. And the church doesn't have the conversation about death very well Mm. because people are unprepared. How do we let go well? Mm. See, this this may be too simple it probably is, but I think that it all goes back to the depth of your relationship with Christ. Mm. And if you're willing to talk about those things, because you have, I love the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't know if you've read much of Ecclesiastes. Yeah, I taught through it verse by um, verse. Oh man. As, as at this point, it's one of my favorite books in the Bible. And some people say, well, it's too depressing. I think it, I think he just, I think he's wrestling. I think, I think he's wrestling with life and I think he's trying to figure out and he's, you know, this, this man, (laughs) he's had everything, you know, he's gone as far as you can go. He's, uh, built things and had gardens and had all it's everything. Um, but he's just wrestling back and forth, but he deals with that. Um, and, um, I think in order to let go well, you have to be willing. Let me see. In order to in order to let go well, I think you have to have those conversations prior with your family, and you have to step in like like we said earlier. You have to step into that space and just be honest. Like, here's what this is going to look like, and I've seen people and heard heard more. I haven't seen so much of this. I've seen it a bit, but I hear it from, um, from social workers. Um, a lot of times families are in, um, denial and it's like, you know, we want to do whatever we can and we want to put, um, you know, mom on a feeding tube or dad on a feeding tube or something to keep things going. And everything is pointing to the fact that we're getting close. And when you go down that route, and I don't pretend to know everything about that. Matter of fact, I know very little, but I've seen a lot of pain come from uh, putting off the inevitable when if you had, um, you know, the kids, the the children of someone who is about to pass on, if you just sat, if you sat down and had adult conversations, you know, like big boys and girls and talked about what this really looked like. Um, I, I think that's, that's one of the ways you let go. Well, and like I said earlier, uh, the relationship with Christ you know, we understand that death is a part of this thing. You do have life, you have death. And even, even we as Christians, we, we say that, 
but I know me, I know Josh Westmoreland, and I know I don't like to think about my demise. Mm-hmm. I don't want to think about that. But if if we are Christians, if we are trying to be Christ-like, um, we have to come to grips with our own mortality. Right. And we can't pretend that we're going to live forever. And so um, I, I think, I don't know if that gives you much at all, but I, I think those conversations have to be had. And the maturity in Christ, if that's measurable, um, you know, if somebody is 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 in love with Christ, I think that goes a long way too in your uh, ability to deal with these things. Yeah, a couple of things I think I would add to that. You know, the Bible says we sorrow not as others who have no hope. It never says we don't sorrow. I think Christian people should sorrow. Mm. But we sorrow with an awareness that we have hope. Mm. The other thing I would I would just say, Josh, just to add uh, just a little bit to, to what you just said. You know, the Bible says if in this life only we have hope, we're of all people most pitiable. Yeah. Or like the yeah. old King James said it, of all people most miserable. I think people need to talk more about heaven. Mm. Even if you don't understand all that is heaven, because, you know, the half hasn't even been told. I don't even understand all that is earth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I love to watch documentaries all the time, and that's the kind of stuff I enjoy. And I'm constantly learning something with every documentary I watch. So I don't even understand a fraction of what's going on on the earth. So you know I don't understand all that's going on in heaven. But I think it's great when a loved one has passed away, when you're missing them, just talk a little bit about what you think they might be doing in heaven. Hmm. And I've heard people say things like, I'm sure daddy's fishing, you know, in the river of life by now. (laughs) Well, I don't know if there's fishing in heaven, but guess what? I don't know that there's not. Right. You know, I had a little lady uh, a little while back. She's a widow. And Josh, she had a dog that she absolutely loved. That dog was her family member. That dog was basically all she had. So she talked to the dog like a person. She treated the dog like a person. Uh, The dog watched television with her. The dog ate at the the table with her. it went where she went, you know, she loved her dog and her little dog passed away Mm. and she was heartbroken. And she came to me and she said, pastor Brian, is it okay if I think my dog is in heaven? And I mean, she was serious. She was broken. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, does the Bible ever specifically say that there are no animals in heaven? She said, I don't think it does. I said, well, we know there has to be horses because Jesus is coming back riding one. So, you know, the Bible never says definitively that your dog is not there. Hmm. I said, does it bring you comfort to think about it being there? She said, it does. I said, well, guess what? You just believe you're going to see your little dog in heaven. And if when we get there, it's not there. Heaven will erase that pain because the former things are done away with and it won't matter then. Hmm. And, and I know some people are going to say, what a silly illustration. You should have told her that the dog didn't have a soul. God only breathed into man's nostrils and only man became a, a living soul. I get all that. But what I was trying to say in that moment is 
find some comfort in thinking about heaven. We don't know all the details. And so I think it's important for people to do that or else we're going to be miserable. If today was the worst day that you ever had in your life and you went to bed, it was if it was the worst day, you know the reason that you could get up tomorrow is that you would have the hope that the next day would be better. Mm. And I don't think that's too, that's, that's not stretching it. No. Like if somebody is having the, the, the most terrible day, the reason they can get up the next day is because it's like, that was rough, but can't go anywhere but up from here. <laughs> <laughs> and seriously, if, if we are thinking eternally, if I am going to bed tonight and I think I'm, I'm, you know, if, if perhaps I had a terminal, which I guess we are all terminal to some degree, but if I had a terminal illness and I thought tonight's the night, I have the hope that it tomorrow will be better, much better. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's a, that's a good thing to, um, to focus on the hope because I really think it's hope that makes the world, that makes the world go round. Mm-hmm. You know, people that are in dire situations, the reason they can continue living and the reason they do, um, versus the, the opposite is because they have the hope that today is going to be better. And for a Christian, Man, it's a total, it, you're in a different atmosphere yeah. altogether. Well, you know, uh, so. I love my dad was preaching years ago, and he said uh, he said there was a man that for, fell down 14 flights of stairs. He got up and brushed himself off and said, man, I'm glad that's over with. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. sometimes you have to just uh, put the former Finally. things behind you and, <laughs> and look forward to the things that are before. Yeah. yeah. So, so, Josh – just to wrap this conversation up and thank you for this, by the way, man, I love talking to you. And when we start talking, I think it could last forever, but what's some advice you would give people specifically people who are sick during the holidays, people who are with a sick loved one, and then people who this holiday season are grieving because, you know, I'm thinking about, um, a precious wife and two daughters, uh, who are part of the family of hope church, Danville. Tracy Phelps, uh, her daughter, uh, Alina, and then her daughter, Tegan. And they're just young girls. I think Alina's 15 maybe, and and I think Tegan maybe nine or, or somewhere in that neighborhood. And their dad, 45 years old, lost his life because of COVID. And it happened just just days ago, literally. What do we say to those people to help them make it through this Christmas season? Because, you know, they're still alive. They're still living. And their loved one is alive. Brian's in heaven. And I wish we could get an idea of that. I wish we believed in heaven more. I think that would help. But, you know, I think about this story that I heard. It's a true story. There was a lady who so feared dying that she stayed in her house 24 hours a day, wouldn't leave her house because she was terrified of dying. But she was so terrified of dying that she was missing out on living. 
And, you know, I want to say to people, you're still alive and you can make yourself miserable and you can grieve all the time and you can never laugh and you can never enjoy. And that will do absolutely nothing to bring your loved one back. It won't make your loved one's experience in heaven any richer. It'll make your journey on the way to heaven a lot more difficult. And so respectfully, I want to say to people, laugh. Be grateful you're alive and know that inevitably where your family member is in heaven, you're going to be there also because your time's coming. What did the preacher say in Ecclesiastes in chapter 2? He said, for I have, what he said, I have surmised or something like that, that there is nothing better under the sun than to do what? You remember? Than to eat and drink and be merry. So that's the King James Version. But so... Eat the fruits of your labor, enjoy life, laugh, have fun. It does good like a medicine. Um, but I would, I would also you 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 asked me, what would you say? And the thing is, is I don't, I don't, I don't think that's the right question. Hmm. I think it, I think it's rather, uh, would you be willing to be? Would you be willing to be there? Um, because there's, I, I, you know, you can say a lot of things and I can say a lot of things and we're preachers. We have no lack of words, <laughs> yep. but it's be, it's being willing to be there with them because let's be honest. I mean, we could say a lot of things, but it's not even really that it's our presence. It's genuinely being there, not. Hey, holler if you need me. Yep. <laughs> we were talking about earlier, but showing up and actually being present, and that is proof in the pudding that you care and that you're a genuine human being. And that means what what I tell people when I do uh, funerals, I almost always go to Ecclesiastes three, the time chapter, you know. And um, uh, one of the verses says, "There's a time to speak," and on the back end of that, it says, "There's a time to keep silent," and it's okay. To just say, I don't have any idea what to say, but I'm here. Mm. And that means more than any, that means more than 10,000 words. Wow. And so that's what I would say. Yeah. And the other thing is, I think people can find ways to honor their loved one. And ultimately that brings them peace. I know I've done countless weddings and there'll be a rose in an empty chair. And mm. what they're saying is, in my heart, you're still here. Mm. Or it may be an ornament that has your loved one's picture on it that you hang on the tree. Or it may be sitting around the table with some hot chocolate and talking about your favorite memories of that person, your favorite mm. Christmas experiences. I think people need to find ways to continue to honor their mm. loved one and to realize that in our memories, they're still alive, right? Mm. Mm. And when you carry on those things, those traditions, it it really does extend, not biologically speaking, but it does extend their memory and they continue to live on in a way that uh, transcends them and their lives and potentially even your life. If you continue, you know, I think a lot of times we talk about tra traditions like they're terrible, like we shouldn't. And But <laughs> traditions are great as, yeah. as long as they're not sacred cows, you know what I mean? Um, like traditions can be questioned, but man, traditions are, are great to have especially if they're uh, connected to people that you love. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's I think that's great. Uh, my wife today was talking about her um, her grandfather. Um, he called she called him Pops. Everybody called him Pops, and he was a deacon in a Baptist church over in Texas. And he carried Tootsie Rolls in his uh, shirt pocket, and he always gave little kids Tootsie Rolls. And he was known as the Tootsie Roll Man mm-hmm. in his church. And so he died uh, last June, and uh, love that man. He was he was. Have you ever met? An older person, like they're really old, but they're really sharp and they're really quick. And like you say something witty and they'll cut you right back. Yeah. You ever known people like that? Yeah. Like that's how he was. And so I love, I love that old fella. Um, But he passed away last June and she, I didn't know this until just today. She told me that um, her cousins, which is uh, the other, which is the, uh, her, the two grandsons, her cousins uh, were are in the same church, and they decided to carry you know what in their pocket as well to carry on that tradition and to pass out um, as kind of you know an extension of him because his presence is is no longer felt. And so I thought that was really cool, and that's I it feel is. like that's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Josh, I appreciate this conversation. Um, thank you so much. I know it's going to be a blessing to a lot of people. I hope so. And um, we're going to close out in just a moment. I'm going to get you to pray for those who are facing this holiday season uh, with some heartbreak. Uh, We want to lift you up to Jesus, and we want you to know that he cares about you. There is a place called grace, and it's before the throne of God, and you can kneel there, and uh, you will find help and strength. And again, uh, just listen to this conversation, and maybe this will lead to conversations that you can have among your family and among your loved ones, and uh, maybe it's something that we haven't even mentioned, but this holiday season, it'll be a blessing to you, and it'll help you grieve well and celebrate well, and that's what we pray for you. Amen. Uh, Just before Josh closes us in prayer, uh, let me just encourage all of you who are listening to the podcast, we're going to be having a special conference called He Restores My Soul, January the 9th through the 11th. We've got great speakers, uh, Pastor Matt Dudley from Missouri, uh, Barnabas Piper, uh, who'll be uh, speaking Monday night. Then there'll be a special Pastors Church Leaders Luncheon on Tuesday. And then Tuesday night, uh, Pastor Josh Combs uh, from Michigan, who is just absolutely incredible. Everything, everything's going to be focused on restoration. We all need that. We need soul restoration. It's been a difficult few years. And I really pray that many of you will be able to come and be a part of that. I know it's going to be incredible. And you can check the website or the app, and you can find more information about He Restores My Soul. Well, Josh, why don't you close us in prayer, and that'll be the end of the podcast. Father, we lean into you. Lord, I I pray for everyone that um, will have listened to this podcast, and as they've gotten to this prayer, I pray that we would all be able to take a solemn moment and just reflect and think about um, the high points that you have uh, you have brought to to light in our life, um, Lord. Your even even your conviction is is such a a wonderful gift, Lord, because it's saying that you're speaking to us uh, and that you have not forgotten about us, and so Father whoever you're speaking to and however 
um, whether it be through that or uh, just a, a positive memory or perhaps a sad memory or something we need to do or comfort. Um, Lord, you do. We ask you to do what you're going to do. And we ask that uh, you would help us to be mindful of those who are suffering with uh, grief and grief because of loss. Um, Lord, this is a, we are right here on a difficult time of year, the, perhaps the most difficult time of year for people who are struggling and people who feel alone. God, the pain of loneliness is, is very potent. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help uh, help those in this season to know you and to draw close to you. Lord, we can say things and, and people can hear things that can help and encourage, and that's good. But, Lord, you comfort as no one else does. And you stay. You stay with people. God, we have to come and we go and we leave and we talk and we say goodbye and we hug. And then our presence isn't felt anymore. Father, I pray that your presence would be felt throughout all of the Hope Church locations, through the members, through those who are struggling, and for those who are not yet part of a body. Um, Lord, I pray that you would use this, um, this episode, this podcast, to draw people to you and to help people understand that they need you. They need Jesus. They need the way, the truth, and the life. So we thank you for all that you do. Uh, bless us in this holiday weekend, this Christmas weekend. And in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.